Hi all and welcome to today's episode of We Are PR. My name is Charlotte Wright and I'm an account manager at Rooster. In today's episode, we're going to be chatting with the lovely Katie McGonagall from leading travel trade publication, Travel Weekly. We're going to be talking about how Travel Weekly has adapted and changed over the past 12 months since the pandemic, the important role of travel agents, the future of travel, and also how Katie likes to work with PRs on travel content for the magazine. Welcome, Katie. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and your role at Travel Weekly? Well, hi, Charlotte. Thanks very much for inviting me on here. Um, it's great to, to have a little chat with some of your listeners. Um, so I have been at Travel Weekly for the best part of a decade. Um, I look after all the destination content for the magazine. So that is primarily the features in the main magazine, um, but we also publish quite a number of supplements, particularly focusing on the cruise and touring and adventure sector. Um, I also look after all of our sponsored content, so advertorials, um, bespoke selling guides, that kind of thing, um, but increasingly over the past year, webinars and social media posts. Um, so really just kind of looking after all the destination content for the magazine. It's what I call the fun side of Travel Weekly, although I'm sure my news <laughs> colleagues would disagree. They love what they do as well. Um, but it, it's looking after all the press trips and, and coordinating all of that really fun destination coverage, which is what makes us all love travel. Oh, brilliant. Well, we're very, very lucky in that case to have you on our podcast today. So thank you for joining us. Let's jump right in and talk about how COVID has impacted you guys at Travel Weekly. So obviously COVID's had a huge impact on the entire industry um, and of course, you know, the media space as well. Can you tell us a little bit about how things have changed at Travel Weekly since the start of the pandemic? Sure. Well, I mean, I think there's kind of two different impacts that it's had. I mean, obviously, there's the impact on us as a magazine. Um, so we have all been working from home uh, since March of last year, um, which has been kind of interesting, adapting all of our processes as a weekly print magazine with a really high turnover, high output. Um, adapting all of that to, to work from home was a challenge, um, but it's one that I think we have met. And, and it's been quite interesting, actually, to see how we've been able to adapt um, to, to that. So we're still very much in touch as a team. We speak every day um, via Zoom. So, so that has been um, quite a challenge, but, but one that suggests that we you know, can adapt um, for the future if we need to. Then there's also, of course, the impact on the industry that we cover. Um, so when you look back at the early weeks of the pandemic uh, last year, you know, the news was just absolutely non-stop. It was really, really relentless. Um, so our news team did a fantastic job. They really stepped up and, and were just covering that 24-7 flow of news. Uh, we set up a, a coronavirus resource centre. We set up a live blog and um, just really trying to keep our readers up to date with all of that news, but also all the resources they needed around um, you know, legal advice, uh, HR stuff around furlough, you know, all of those kind of, all of that information. Um, we did also try and keep it light as well at the same time, because it was, it was a really difficult time for the industry as it still is. But, you know, we actually did also introduce um, something, uh, introduce something we called the good deed feed, uh, which was sort of sharing some of those positive messages as well, because there's a, you know, in among all the challenging times, there have been some positive stories. Um, mm -hmm. Over the past year, I would say we've definitely increased our digital output a lot. Um, mm -hmm. So we've always done this uh, morning news alert every day called Business AM. That's been going for the past 10 years. Um, but we've actually introduced uh, an afternoon news alert every single day uh, since March of last year. Um, we've been doing a lot more online output. So uh, daily webcasts with leading figures from across the industry. 
um, a lot more social media and we've been seeing our readers engage with us a lot more online and via social media. Um, so yeah, it has changed what we do and how we cover the industry, um, but at the heart of it, we're still a very news-driven magazine um, and so really just trying to cover that kind of content. Um, when you look at my section, the destination content, that also shifted. So whereas prior to this, we would, uh, you know, have lots of these lovely first-hand colour pieces, uh, you know, telling our readers about a destination and, and how they could talk about it with their clients. Uh, mm -hmm. We switched to, to still having some of that content because I think we still need that inspiring content, um, but a lot more practical, timely information, uh, guides about how to sell a certain type of holiday, um, and really just trying to reflect what our readers need to know from us. If you've been an agent who up to now has sold 80 or 90% cruise content or um, you know, of certain types of holiday, you might be looking to diversify a little bit. So really just trying to give our readers the, the inspiration and the information they need in order to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's so brilliant to hear about all of those different ways that you and Travel Weekly have adapted because I, for one, you know, have relied on you as a news source right throughout the pandemic with all of the breaking news as well as the inspirational travel stories. So amazing to hear that you guys are really on the pulse in terms of um, making sure that you're getting the right information to your audience. It's really good to hear. So let's talk a little bit about the role of the travel agent. First things first, in terms of booking travel, do you think that the role of travel agents has shifted over the past 12 months? Yeah, I do think it has shifted um, in the sense that I think people have kind of been reminded of the value of a travel agent in a big way. Mm -hmm. um, again, you know, when you look back at sort of the number of hours that travel agents spent trying to secure refunds for their customers early on in the pandemic or rebooking their customers, um, I think people have perhaps woken up to the value of a travel agent again and remembered that value. Um, I think mm -hmm. it's never been more important to have that kind of safety and security of booking through an agent because if things did go wrong or if you you need to amend your dates etc um, then you know having uh, a, somebody who you can actually ring up the phone or, or go and see face to face uh, who will actually help you with that is is so important. Um, mm -hmm. I do think also the way uh, people are looking to book travel may well change as well for the future so when you think about you know we we've heard lots about people wanting to book fewer but longer and more complex trips and that's again where the value of a travel agent can really come to the fore because if you're going to book a higher value trip you're probably going to want to put your trust in somebody who actually knows what they're talking about as opposed mm -hmm. to you know hitting a book now button on online so I think that's yeah. really important and when you think about the different demographics of people who book travel we've seen a lot of evidence of younger people um, wanting to book through travel agents which might surprise some people but actually it's definitely there and certainly yeah. the older age group um, you know the silver travel advisor report was just published recently um, and that found that there was um, a 49 49 percent of the people that they surveyed wanted to book with a travel agent which was up from 36 percent mm -hmm. the previous year and actually what might also interest some people is um 25 percent of them wanted to actually go and do it face to face so I think the value of that human contact is really important absolutely and I do think that you know the travel agent booking process is really personalized and something that you don't get when you're flying directly via, you know, a website where there's, there's no face-to-face -face or, or human interaction. What do you think about the future of physical travel booking shops? Um, do you think that people are still going to want to go into physical travel agent shops or do you think they'll look to online travel agents more so? 
I think there's probably going to be quite a mix. I think it's hard to generalise because we've all had a very different experience of lockdown and the pandemic and, and people's sort of comfort with going to the high street um, might be different for different people. I mean, as I said, that that 25% uh, of those older travellers um, surveyed by Silver Travel Advisor wanted to go and actually speak face to face to a travel agent. So I think there's absolutely yeah. still a place for physical high street shops. Uh, but that said, we've seen lots mm -hmm. of agents really diversifying and setting up um, video consultations. We've actually also seen a really big shift towards homeworking from travel agents, which was something that was going on prior to the pandemic. But as I think we've seen with a lot of consumer trends and, and uh, business trends, um, the pandemic has acted as a bit of a catalyst, I think, for a lot of agents to switch to homeworking and a lot mm -hmm. of the homeworking agency networks that we speak to have reported an, a, a really huge surge in inquiries from agents wanting to switch to that model of working. Um, mm -hmm. We actually produced a, a massive uh, guide to homeworking in October of last year to help agents who were considering that switch. So I think the way we engage with travel agents may well change, um, but I'm sure that there are still a lot of people who want that physical presence on the high street do want to go in and, and speak to somebody they know and who has booked their holidays in the previous years. Um, mm -hmm. So I think this is perhaps just given agents more opportunities to diversify how they speak to their clients. Um, but the role of that travel agent is still very, very crucial to how we want to book travel in future. Yeah, I completely agree. And still on the topic of travel agents, has there been a big focus on training travel agents? Are there new courses? Have they been upskilling, um, you know, especially as well with, you know, probably some people in the industry on furlough? How has the industry sort of made sure that they're upskilling and keeping up to, up to date with, with what we're doing? Yeah, I think there has been a really strong focus on training. I think... Um, as as people kind of shifted out of that kind of crisis mentality that we had at the very start of the pandemic I think that that has really been one of the growth areas um, and mm -hmm. we've seen uh, lots of tourist boards lots of suppliers tour operators wanting to spend this time when things are a bit quieter training travel agents and um, just upskilling them so that when demand can start to come back they are absolutely ready and waiting and poised to take those bookings. I mean, not to forget, you know, a lot of the industry has been furloughed, but you are allowed to train while on furlough. So mm -hmm. that has been a really significant way that I think a lot of our suppliers and tourist boards have tried to um, keep that connection with travel agents by doing training. I mean, we, for example, we have introduced um, a number of webinars. Um, so we work with a lot of our clients on producing um, weekly webinars for travel agents, sort of just, again, trying to update them on the latest information, perhaps show them a different side of the destination that they didn't know. And again, people are just sort of trying to use the resources available to them. Um, so now that we can all connect with each other on Zoom, we've had some fantastic first-hand reports from destinations, you know, um, uh, suppliers kind of out there talking us through a destination, taking us on a little virtual tour. Um, mm -hmm. So definitely training has been one of the things that people have focused on a lot. And I think that that will set the industry in really good stead as demand returns, hopefully this year. Brilliant. And have any particular tourist boards or destinations really stood out to you in terms of putting on a, a virtual tour? Um, I think there's been real highlights across the industry. I mean, I think the kind of regions that, that have always engaged hugely um, with agents like the Caribbean Tourism Organization, they do a really mm -hmm. good job and they've got a fantastic network of agents um, who, you know, 
join their webinars and, and really are hungry for that information from them. But we've yeah. also seen um, organisations kind of getting into the agent space who perhaps haven't been known for it historically. I mean, for example, LATA, the Latin American Travel Association, um, has really stepped up its efforts with agents and we've seen them doing webinars. Um, and perhaps that, that is not a region that agents perhaps know quite as well. Um, but it's great to see more uh, organizations sort of recognizing the value of travel agents and really looking to engage with them at a time when agents want that information. Definitely and I think the the value of virtual events you know isn't to be undermined I think that they can be a lot more accessible at a time like this when people can't actually go and physically visit a destination so probably more people are being exposed to what they wouldn't have been before which can only be a good thing um, for the industry so yeah, if you've got a physical roadshow, you've actually got to get however many agents out on a you know rainy Tuesday evening um, <laughs> to go to a venue and, and, and speak to people physically. Whereas, yeah, you can target agents across the UK. So mm -hmm. uh, it's difficult. Obviously, I know that agents are bombarded with a lot of information, but I do think that the industry has really stepped up in terms of trying to engage with agents. And that's been really positive. Mm -hmm. And to caveat though, I do think that agents will be super, super keen to get abroad again to do those fam trips, just as the as, as travel uh, journalists are looking forward to as well. Absolutely. I mean, there is, it, it, to be fair, it isn't a substitute for face-to-face -face training, but I, but you can see a world, um, you know, as we, as we sort of emerge from the pandemic and things kind of start to get back to normal, where we have a mix of face-to-face -face and virtual events and training. Um, and so I think we've all learned a lot from this year um, and hopefully we'll see some of that carrying on in the longer term, just to, just to give us an extra way of reaching people that we didn't have before. Yeah, exactly. It would be brilliant to have a crystal ball that tells us what's going on, but it would be really great to hear sort of your thoughts as an expert um, about what's what's in store sort of for the next 12 months. So I know that we've sort of just had the roadmap news announced by the UK government. Uh, 17th of May is kind of earmarked for international travel to resume again. Do you think we'll hit that milestone? And what do you think is going to happen kind of just after that date hits? Is there going to be a huge surge in travel and everyone's going to go overseas? Or do you think that people will kind of slowly start booking their trips again? Well, it's very hard to predict with any kind of confidence exactly how things are going to pan out. We know that this is a very changeable situation. Um, it's very fast moving. So I, you know, I, with the caveat that we are chatting in March and, um, you know, we don't know exactly how things will pan out. I do think the industry uh, was very, very gratified to see so much travel content in the Prime Minister's roadmap that was outlined recently. Um, mm -hmm. You know, just there was a lot of worry that actually travel might not even be touched upon. There's been a lot of negative publicity around travel over the past few weeks, um, you know, with posters saying going on holiday is illegal and all that sort of stuff. So so actually, I think um, the industry was really pleased that, you know, a full two or three pages uh, were devoted to travel. And there does seem to be this kind of facilitative approach, to use the government's language, um, of trying to get travel back up and running. Mm -hmm. um, I think we are all awaiting the, the, the detail that we will get um, in April, on April 12th, um, from that Global Travel Task Force, Mark II. Um, and I think it's very hard to predict with any certainty until we see that detail. May 17th is, is a good date to work towards, but I think a lot of the industry is, you know, because there are so many tests that have to be met before that international travel can resume, I think a lot of the industry is perhaps thinking, May is a possibility, 
June is, is more realistic. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of, to answer your question about how we will then see travel start restarting, um, I think it's very much going to be a gradual thing. I think there are a lot of people who are desperate to get away for sure. <laughs> Um, so there is no question that we wouldn't all just rather be on a beach this summer than, you know, staring at the same four walls that we've been seeing for the past year. Um, but I do think it will be, you know, people will be waiting to see how things go. Uh, we saw some of the ups and downs um, from last year with travel corridors being, um, you know, added to the list and then taken off the list. Mm -hmm. um, so I think people kind of want to, they don't want to be the first ones testing the water. That said, even if you see a summer with lower volumes of, of travellers, that all helps to rebuild everybody's confidence in travel as a whole. Um, so I do think that even if we can see a smaller volumes travelling, uh, that will still have a very positive effect on the rest of the industry. Um, and then you could see, you know, we're already seeing a lot of destinations extending into the shoulder seasons in October, November even. Um, so I think you could potentially see that traditional peak summer market kind of spread over uh, the few months up to the October half term at least. Mm -hmm. um, so let's just hope that we can we can start to see that happen. Absolutely. I mean, fingers crossed. I think everyone would love it if, you know, 17th of May meant that it was an absolute and everyone could kickstart straight away. But I think we do need to be realistic and sort of take it sort of step by step as the government's outlined. In saying that, what do you think about the staycation market? Do you think that is going to be hotter than ever this year? Last year, it was absolutely huge. What are your thoughts on how that might progress and change? Yeah, I think um, it's obviously a huge opportunity um, for UK tourism businesses to recoup some of their lost revenue. Um, although, you know, not, not in any way at the same level as they would have if they had, you know, a really good inbound market. Um, I do think that the staycation market is, is fantastic and this one of the positive things that has come out of this is people have perhaps um, been reminded of how much beauty there is in their doorstep and how much there is to discover. I think after a year of doing it last year, people do want to go abroad. Um, the term pent up demand kind of gets bandied around a lot, but it but it is true, it is there. Um, and we've seen you know huge increases in booking as soon as there is any kind of positive announcement towards travel. Mm -hmm. So. You know, I also think that capacity is an issue within the UK um, yeah. and, and, and cost as well, because a, a holiday, a package holiday in Spain is a lot cheaper than, than a kind of two week beach holiday in the UK. So I think the staycation market is really important, but I don't think we travel at home in the same way as we would travel when we're abroad. It's short breaks. It's close to home as opposed to that kind of week or two weeks on a beach uh, or mm -hmm. doing something, uh, you know, when you're abroad. So I think that uh, the staycation market is really important. The other thing is as well for our readers, you know, unfortunately not as many travel brands, domestic travel brands really engage with the trade. It's a bit of a missed okay. opportunity sometimes because actually the trade has done some fantastic um, bookings in the UK market over the past year. Um, you know, whether that's switch selling people from destinations abroad to the UK um, or whether it's just trying to, to um, get some business uh, coming in. So it would be nice to see some more of the UK suppliers kind of engaging more with travel agents and recognising that as a really valuable distribution channel for them. We've kind of noticed that since the pandemic, ecotourism and sustainable travel might have taken a slight back seat. Would you agree with that concept or what? What do you think the role of ecotourism and sustainable travel has in the future of travel, given that people might just be deciding to go wherever and whenever as soon as possible versus making a more conscious decision about where they choose to go? 
I think sustainability has definitely um, come into the mainstream over the past few years. Again, this is something that we were seeing kind of pre-pandemic. It's not something that has just happened in the past year. Um, I think there's a lot of talk around people becoming more um, eco-conscious and, and being more thoughtful about where they choose to spend their money when it comes to travel. I think that can be a bit overstated sometimes. Um, it's Sometimes there's a lot of talk, and, and but then when you actually ask people to put their money where their mouth is, it doesn't always <laughs> happen. Um, so I think sustainability is certainly more important now than, than it has been in the past, but mm -hmm. it is it's still a gradual move towards sustainability. And I think, unfortunately, so many tourism businesses around the world have been so badly affected um, over this past year. You know, we've seen uh, just absolutely fundamental stopping of the, the travel yeah. uh, industry. So I, I think, unfortunately, sustainable initiatives can be something that are kind of like a nice to have in the good times. But unfortunately, we do see that sometimes they're the first things to be cut when when people have to um, look at their finances a bit more carefully. So I'd love to see it come back a bit more, but um, I remain, it remains to be seen whether that is a longer term trend. Yeah, completely. And completely understandable as well. Can you describe your relationship between you and PRs? How does it tend to work for you? What, is a, what does a good PR do and what are their, their tactics? Well, we work really closely with a lot of uh, the travel PRs, particularly travel specialist firms, but also bigger agencies with travel departments. Um, and working closely with PRs is a really important way um, that we uh, you know, hear about what your clients are doing um, and can share some of those stories with our readers. Um, I mean, the, the best PRs, I guess, are proactive with us. We publish our features list, our forward features list on our website, um, and that mm -hmm. is being updated a little bit more often than usual at the moment. Um, so it's always worth going back and checking it. Um, but in normal times, that that is, a, a, you know, you can kind of work off that calendar and see which destinations and which themes we're writing about in specific weeks. Um, mm -hmm. But the best PRs are then proactive and they get in touch with me or my colleagues um, and uh, just find out a little bit more about what we're writing, what angles we're taking, who's writing the feature, when it needs to be filed. Um, the really good PRs also recognise kind of which are the staff writers and which are freelance writers, because typically we mostly use freelancers for um, first hand pieces where we're not able okay. to do a trip or where they're a destination mm -hmm. expert. Um, the, there are better opportunities to um, engage with us with staff written features because that they might be uh, listicles or roundups or, or interview style pieces where there might be an opportunity to then get your clients um, some coverage. So we, mm -hmm. we tend to cover those in-house rather than um, through freelancers. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have a really, really good working relationship with lots and lots of PRs across the travel industry. And uh, it's, it's a great way of generating ideas and generating coverage. Do you think that Travel Weekly writers will be going on press trips in 2021? And if so, where do you think they'll be going? Oh God, I very much hope so. <laughs> um, well, actually, the, it, we've already had a couple of press trip invitations since the Prime Minister announced his roadmap. Um, so I, I can absolutely see that we will be out doing press trips this year. Of course, we have to do that safely. But but last year, you know, uh, I was one of the first uh, trade journalists to, to travel in July, July 3rd, as soon as hotels reopened. I was over on a flight to Northern Ireland. Um, and we were actually the first trade journalists to report from quite a number of destinations, uh, Cyprus, Portugal, um, Greece, uh, mm -hmm. Italy, quite a number of different destinations. And ultimately that's our job, it's, it's to bring that, that first-hand information back. And if anything, it's never been more important. Our readers want to be able to reassure their clients about the experience they're gonna have in the destination. What is it like to get tested before you go? What's it like wearing a mask on a flight? 
all of that kind of stuff. And, and as you said earlier, Charlotte, you know, until fam trips restart in any kind of significant way, that is one of the best things we can do for our readers is bring them that information that they haven't necessarily had themselves. Um, you know, we, we uh, started a microsite on our website called the Restart and Recovery Hub, which is bringing people this kind of information. And that's had so many hits. There is an absolute thirst for that, that kind of restart information. Um, so yes, I definitely think we'll be doing press trips. Um, I think, I suspect it will be in line with travel trends, which, which look likely to be Europe first, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. Some of those kind of favorite med destinations. Um, and then let's see, let's hope that we can start getting out to some longer haul destinations as the year progresses. Yes, I agree, that would be brilliant. And just to close off our conversation today, Katie, I would love to ask you, what's on your travel list for 2021? Where do you want to go? I mean, right now I take a flight anywhere that wasn't my kitchen, uh, <laughs> my, my desk as it is. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we'd all just be, everyone who loves travel is just desperate to get out and about again, aren't we? I mean, I would love to, to perhaps take up the opportunity to go to some of those city destinations um, that perhaps might be a bit quieter than, than in previous years. I've actually never yeah. been to Florence or Rome. So those oh. are two really obvious ones on my, <laughs> on my list. Um, but in all honesty, and this is gonna sound really worthy, it's not meant to be, but um, I would just love to kind of fly the flag for travel and just do what we can to go and see some of those destinations that have been hardest hit over the past year. There are so mm -hmm. many economies around the world that are completely dependent on tourism. You know, prior to the pandemic, one in 10 jobs around the world was in travel and tourism. I don't know what that number is going to be as we emerge from this, but it's probably going to be lower than that. Um, so I would just love to be out there sort of spreading the word for any destination that is keen to get tourists back. Um, and that is hopefully we can all kind of work together and we'll be looking at a very different picture in six months to a year. Absolutely. And I think all of the Rooster team will agree that we're really keen to get out and travel again and yeah, really keep in mind those destinations that have been the hardest hit because, you know, some of them rely wholeheartedly on tourism and we want to be part of getting them back on track again. Definitely. I'll be there with you. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, that ends our conversation today, Katie. Thank you so, so much for joining us on our podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you everyone for joining us and listening to this latest episode of We Are PR. You can visit us at www.rooster.co.uk or find us on social media channels with the handle at RoosterPR. Also, please feel free to subscribe and share this podcast with your colleagues and friends. Bye for now.